In Toronto's Queen's Park, a large, rusty white boulder sits between a huge monument to William Lyon Mackenzie, the rebel who inspired and led the doomed 1837 Upper Canada Rebellion, and a narrow lane that provides vehicles with delivery access to the Ontario legislature. Thick shrubbery further shrouds the rock from the casual view of passers-by. It was shortly after midnight on a starry autumn night in 1995 when I first visited this boulder, which is a monument to the Canadians who fought for the Spanish Republic in a bloody civil war that raged from July 1936 to the early months of 1939. Stray threads of light cast by the street lamps and glimmers of starlight caused mineral deposits in the rock to glitter and gently shimmer. Sitting cross-legged on the grass before the stone, I read the official plaque mounted on its face by the National Historic Sites and Monuments Board. It read, in part, Despite their government's opposition, more than 1,500 Canadians volunteered to fight with the Republican forces. They fought courageously for their ideals, suffering heavy losses in major battles. The stone was brought to Canada by Canadian veterans of the Spanish Civil War. They had collected it in the early 1990s from a battlefield near Gandesa in Aragon province. Here many men and women who volunteered to fight in the international brigades had perished in a vain attempt to defend democracy from fascism during a war that ultimately proved a dress rehearsal for World War II. No one really knows the actual number of Canadians who went to Spain between 1936 and 1939. Most recent calculations put the number at about 1,600, rather than the 1,500 stated on the memorial. Almost half of the volunteers never returned, coming to rest in shallow graves hastily dug into the Spanish earth. For several days I had spent many hours in the CBC radio archives listening to the voices of some of the veterans who survived the war. I had heard their incredible war stories and thought perhaps I now understood their reasons for going to another people's war. Those voices echoed softly through my thoughts. The world sixty years earlier was far different from the twilight years of the twentieth century. So too were the people— In the 1930s, Canada, like most of the developed world, was in the throes of the Great Depression. One out of every nine Canadians was receiving federal government relief. Countless others were homeless, drifting from place to place in search of any kind of work they could find. The prairie provinces were undergoing a terrible drought, the once fertile fields reduced to dust bowls. Living in desperate times encouraged many Canadians to seek new roads that might lead to brighter futures. Beside the worn pathways of the conservatism and liberalism, both having proved incapable of leading the way out of the Depression's chaos, two new dramatically different roads were visible. In Canada, as in most industrialized nations, many people chose to explore one or the other. In one direction lay fascism, in the other, communism. The anti-fascist poet, novelist, and teacher Alexander Maitland Stephen identified eleven fascist organizations operating in Canada during the mid-1930s. Some, like the Canadian Union of Fascists, were overt in advertising their beliefs.
Others, like the Chalafou Labor Club, established in Montreal, tried to mask their connection to the world fascist movement. But Chalafou members showed their true colors when they rallied behind an aldermanic candidate whose election platform advocated hanging a socialist and a Jew from every lamppost in the city.